Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Mechanics. I'm Katie, and with me, as always, is... Hey, everybody, what's going on? It is Jason. If you're listening to our podcast, like, as it comes out, you'll notice today's a little bit late, and that's because we can't be bothered to keep to a schedule. <laughs> no, um, normally record, like, on a certain day of the week, and... I normally don't teach that day, but then other stuff keeps happening on those days. Like this week, I decided it would be a good idea to chaperone a second grade field trip. Yeah, not your uh, finest decision there. No, it was not. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. And actually, my fourth grade daughter's class also happened to go on the same field trip. So it was nice that I got to be with both my kids on a field trip. But, you know, like second graders, eight-year-olds, there's always one kid that wanders off all the time. And I'm constantly like, where is Bentley? Like, who, where is Bentley? Oh, my gosh. I even had an extra kid because I had my older daughter with my group, you know, and she's on the autism spectrum, prone to wander. Never had trouble finding her. It was this other kid. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And boys at eight, boy, like, it just makes me wonder, like... Why do we ever choose them? Like, I just don't. Uh, well, I mean, some people don't. That's true. And I understand it more. <laughs> I see the disparity at eight. I'm like, wow, these kids. I don't. But, you know, everyone lived. All of my kids, nobody got lost in the museum. They all got back on the bus. It was fine. It was fine. Um, but That's a win. Everybody shows up as a group and leaves as a group. That's a win. It's true. There are a few times where I thought we might be short one. Uh, but we all made it. We all made it. And I survived. And I didn't, you know, drink from a hip flask during the field trip, which I also see as a win. But it has resulted in a late podcast. If you're behind, ignore the first three minutes of the podcast because it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, you can always ignore the podcast anytime <laughs> you want to. So. That's true. It's only pretty okay. We have no delusions of grandeur. We can't even keep ter- kept to a regular schedule. Even though I have like immense Catholic and Jewish guilt about putting out anything late, not on time, it it's really humbling to note that nobody seems to care. <laughs> and it's just me. Well, let's not say nobody. Some people do care and they let us know. No one But has, in a nice way. In a nice way. So far, no one has let us know about this episode and it is super late, so That's true. They haven't so far yet. It, it's my slice of humble pie today. But because we're late, I should just go ahead and move on to our first segment of the podcast, which is news and crowdfunding. There are lots of things going on um, in crowdfunding, lots of things going on in news that sometimes I don't mention um, just because I think they're being said from lots of other sources or... um, Something that we may cover later, uh, for example, like kids gaming table. No, kids. <laughs> kids table board games. Kids table board games like is coming out with a new game called Maple Valley that's in their Creature Comforts um, like universe standalone game. I find that really interesting. It looks adorable. But I hope maybe someday to cover that when it hits Kickstarter or whatever. So I'm like, ah, I don't put that in my crowdfunding. And then I know on GameFound, uh, the new edition of Sleeping Gods is on there. And um, there is a second season of Lawyer Up. But I thought, eh, I don't need to cover that today. So just know, 
I'm aware there are other things happening in the news of board games, but I've only got what I've got. And today it's three games and they all kind of have, I don't want to say they're all kids games, but thematically maybe and in art, they lend well to family friendly games. And the first game I want to talk about is called Critter Cards. Um, Critter Cards in some ways looks a lot, uh, plays a lot like war. So this is, I believe, just a two-player game. It doesn't say. Um, this is first Kickstarter, so, you know. But it seems like how you play. I guess you could play with more people. It doesn't even say. How does it not say how many people I play this game with? Two players. Two players. It is two players. So there's two factions on these cards. You've got gnomes and merfolk. And let me tell you, the artwork is super adorable. Um, the designer is actually a graphic designer by trade. Um, and it's just really cute, kind of very kid, family-friendly looking game. Um, and it's got like kind of a fantasy element too. So you've got like rangers and oracles and, you know, those different types of gnomes and merfolk. Um, and basically each card, each person plays a card and like war style. But the nice thing about this is this is definitely very a kid's game. There, one side of the card has a number for your wits. One side of the card has a number for your focus. You add them together to get that card whatever that type of person is, their wisdom. And the highest wisdom wins, like the face-off. So it helps with addition, which I think is important. They actually also provide something called the numbers stones. And so if your kids are really working on addition with like even some higher numbers, you can use the number stones to help them visualize how to add those together. And it says players are encouraged to count the number stones if needed, which I think is really great. And so that's kind of a standard rules. You just compare cards. Um, whoever has the highest number of wisdom wins. You take those cards. You keep playing until one person has the most. They call them loot cards in their st stack. But there's also an advanced player option that has spell cards. And the spell cards can um, be played during the round. And the spells can help give you extra wisdom. And sometimes the spells can not only affect your player, like your card, but all cards being played. So um, there's some little bit more thinking and strategy involved. And as kids get older, that is helpful. And that's kind of adds to helping them learn strategy. And they also have some heroes that can be added that can assist you. Um, it's a special power like once per game that you can use. Also, these heroes are stinking adorable looking. Um, and they can like help you change wisdom between two cards, which would give you advantage or um, take five from another card. Like it's just a good game for basic learning numbers, math concepts. And then if you're like me and you've played lots of card games with your children, including War, which our youngest and I have played on more than one occasion, why I taught her that game, I don't know. But part of it was for number skills. Like this is nice that at least there's cute artwork to look at. I'm, I know I'm helping my child with her math, you know, like factors, which she does need help with. But then they can also grow um, in strategy as you add these other cards as they get older and handle the math. So I think it's super cute. If you're interested in that, if you have kids working on math, if you're a teacher, check out Critter Cards. There's five days left on the Kickstarter. 
it's only $12. Like it's, I think it's just a really good deal if you fit into any of those categories. Yeah, it seems way way cuter than uh, regular war for sure. Oh, yeah. For sure. My next one has kind of a a child a childlike theme, but it's not necessarily a game just for kids. And that's called Castles by the Sea. And this comes from Brotherwise Games, and Jason has assured me that I know their other games, even though I don't remember them ever. Yeah, they do have other games. Uh Unearth, um Overboss, which is the game that you struggled oh, with a lot. Call to Adventure. Call to Adventure. That's the one with the runes that I was trying to talk about, but I couldn't remember the name of it. And um, Boss Monster. Okay. Yeah. I've heard of those. Um, so this one is actually a spatial puzzler. Now, I know. I know. Katie, what are you doing with a spatially related game? You're right. I don't know. I don't know if I would play this, but ooh, I don't know. There's some serious, really cool tactile bits in this game that uh, might make it worth trying so in castles by the sea you are gathering sand blocks to build your kingdom and you're using those sand blocks like sand castles to build castle walls and then you've also got um figures from in your kingdom that you can place um and they're placed based on like cards that you're using once you've made a particular structure sometimes there are little figures that go along with that structure for example if you can build like this um, like keep, then you can put, you know, a soldier on it. And there are just different things like that. So it's got almost has a tiny towns feel and that you're following the lineup of some cards, um, in order to place blocks in different configurations. Um, and then you're also like, once you meet some of those qualifications of different cards, you're getting points from that as well. The points are on these cute sand dollars. The artwork is really adorable. Um, but not just building and kind of a race and working to build these different, um, I don't, not f- like features of like castle walls and things like that, but also disaster can happen um, and like large crazy animals or the sea can come attack and then there's cards that actually show what that um, hazard does, how many blocks it takes out where it can go. So you're like trying to score points while you can, when you can, um, whether through placement of figures or uh, through the building of these different features before these big hazards strike. Um, At first glance, it seems pretty simple, but the fact that there's like this kind of spatial puzzle of how do I get these things to fit together to make these walls, um, to hit these cards I need, I think it's really interesting, especially if you like those kind of spatial puzzles. It's super cute. Um, the little figures are adorable. Uh, just, it just looks like a fun little different, really tactile based kind of like puzzle game. So if you're interested in any of those things, check out Castles by the Sea. There's six days left in the Kickstarter and the base pledge is $45. Now, what I think is also interesting about this Kickstarter is that it's super affordable. So $45 and you get like the blocks and the things um, and shaped meeples even in the base game. For $10 more, you can get an expansion added to the base game. And for $20, you get the deluxe edition. The deluxe edition is pimp. Okay, like the regular edition is good. Still very good. Deluxe edition, you've got these shape meeples, but they all are painted differently with all these cute look features. Um, the hazard tiles are these big, like chunky, like 
coaster-like discs. Um, and really, for only $20 more, like, I'm impressed that that's the leap from the base game to the deluxe edition. Um, it's just a really cute, interesting-looking game. So I suggest check it out. Castles by the Sea. Yeah, this does look really nice. I thought when we were talking about it earlier, it looked like uh, a modular version of Santorini. So you're like building the thing and then moving people around. It looks cool. Yes. If I knew anything about Santorini, I would have compared it to that, but I don't. So that's why I didn't. (laughs) But thank you for that insight. My last one is also maybe childlike in looks, but I don't know that it particularly is in play. And that game is called Explorers of the Woodlands. And in this, this is a dungeon crawl, but it's not just a dungeon crawl like you would normally think. Oh, we're going to crawl through a dungeon. It's forest themed and it's cooperative, a cooperative dice dungeon crawler. So you've got one to four players. They say the age is like 10 plus, which I could see that because you have to understand the basic rules of dungeon crawling. So you are placing tiles to explore. Instead of exploring a dungeon, you're exploring a forest, which for me, I. I actually kind of like that thematically a little bit better. But again, my likes and dislikes are arbitrary and completely like irrational. So I like it because the art looks cool on this one. So you're adding on your exploration phase, you're adding child of the forest, the tiles, you know, show you what monsters, hazards, things are there. Um, Then you have like a player card with your character and like you're rolling the dice and then you assign them to the different actions you have on your player card, which I think is really interesting. And so then you're going to execute what you have. So you're exploring, you're fighting monsters, you're getting gear, um, you're facing events and brambles, and you're working to cooperate with each other, and you're preparing for a boss fight. And I just think it's just a really, there's also a campaign mode. So you can play like just little one-offs or you can all, you can play like a longer campaign, which I think is really cool as well. The artwork is fun and kind of fanciful. Um, If you like dungeon crawlers, it's nice, I think, sometimes to put it in a different place. So instead of crawling through a dark, dirty dungeon with the same usual things you fight, this is out in the woods, cute. Like one of the characters is like this little adorable frog. Um, He looks like he's a monk or a, cleric of some type i'm not sure um i I, yeah i just like how they kind of made the traditional dungeon crawl a little bit more whimsical but still it looks like it would be fun and complex and i like that you're kind of powering up your player board powers and then executing them with what you find on the tile so if any of that sounds interesting check out explorers of the woodlands there's 10 days left in the kickstarter a little bit longer but the nice thing is the base edition, base game is 31 bucks for the base pledge, which I think is fairly reasonable for all the stuff you get in it. Yeah, when I saw the art of this, I was really interested, but then Dungeon Crawl and I was out. But I do really like the art. The art of this game is awesome. And I like the fact on all these projects that you have here, they're reasonably priced, and I appreciate that. I'd, so that's nice. Yeah, I do what I can. So that is what I have today for our news. <laughs> Right, so let's move into some games that we played. We we had the chance to play, I don't know, four or five games, and we're going to talk about three. And the first one that we're going to talk about is a game that we haven't played for a bit, but we talked about it last week in the honorable mention section because it's a renegade game that we own, and it's called Sentient. And this game is, it has some kind of theme about programming robots to automate like life for people. It's like a paragraph, I don't know. But effectively what you're doing is you are 
drafting these cards from this row, and you're trying to put them into your network, which is your player board. Now, the way that that works is you have five dice on your player board, and you have to slot a card, um, a, one of the cards that you take in between two of those dice. So you're going to have four cards over the course of the game. When you place a card, it's going to have some kind of mathematical formula that you're trying to accomplish with the dice above that card. So it could be left die plus right die equals even, or both the dice are the same. So when you plug that card in, you're going to try to make that formula. The tricky thing is each of the cards have like some kind of manipulation that they're going to do to that die, to a die on the right and the die on the left. It's either going to stay the same or it's going to go up or down based on a minus sign or a plus sign on the corner. So when you slot that card in, it's going to adjust the die accordingly, which could mess up one of your other slots that you have set up for scoring, and therein lies the puzzle. Now, you have these little assistants that you can put down to negate the um, manipulation of the die if you want to, but that's the crux of the game. You're taking dice, or you're taking cards trying to manipulate these dice to score a pile of points, and you're going to do that over three rounds. And There's also some area control where you're trying to get these investor tokens, if you can get investor tokens of one of the five different types, you're going to score extra points for all the cards of that type that you have times investor tokens. So it's kind of math of the game. It has some really cool art and it's really pink, but it's a fun game. It doesn't it doesn't take a long time to play and it's a, a nice little thinky puzzle. So since we played Sentient again, how do you feel about it? Yeah, it's been a while since we played it. And um, I don't remember it being quite so short which I both enjoy, but just when I was getting into it, I was like, dang, it's over. I think we've discussed my lack of math abilities, um, but I, I don't, I didn't have, a, I don't have a problem with this game because of that. Like, I feel like it's just, it's puzzly. It's like, how, what can I take that's going to fit this? But I also do kind of want a particular color of card, but I, I don't want to mess up what I've already laid down. Um, I I, le- I really enjoy the challenge of thinking through all the different cards that you might take, where you're going to place them, how that might work out, how you can make the most um, points with what you got. Now, we previously played it with at least, I would say, I most remember us playing with like four people. So playing with two, I was like, wow, that was really fast. Um, it still was a challenge, but I, I think I do like it at higher player counts, but still not bad at two. Um, but it, for, it cemented that I really do like this game, and I think we should play it more with other people. Yeah, I agree. It is it is much better with four. Um, it's, th- it's still fine at two, but getting more cards out and more competition for the auction makes it a little bit more fun. Uh, but yes, uh, it's you got to be careful who you play with, because even though the math is simple, it can if you don't like math in games, it's not going to be a game you want to play. I don't like math in games, though, but I liked it. Yeah, that, but there, I mean, there are some people that's, that that's not going to be their jam at all. Yes, yeah. All this game is is doing math and all that, and that's not my not thing. Not even just math, but, like, it's it's like a puzzle. So it's like, okay, if I take this, this will turn. So, you know, even though I don't like math, I like Sudoku puzzles, and I like, you know, deduction-type stuff. Like, how do I get like mind benders like that's not for everybody i i agree right yeah that's true all right so the next game we played is a game we've had for a long time and it's probably we probably played this maybe this was the fastest game of this we've ever played absolutely uh and the game is called king of new york and we played it at three it was me katie and katie's cousin amber's husband and he won he didn't he dominated game was over in about 20 minutes Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> um, but if you don't know what this game is, it's a, 
like a little dice rolling game where you're rolling these dice and you have this this big monster and you're in the in King of New York you're using this monster to destroy buildings which in turn can cause like the military to come to try to hurt you but then you can crush the military and when you crush these buildings and military you're going to score points and health and all that kind of thing and you're either trying to be the first person to get to 20 points or be the last person alive you've killed all the other monsters and the first person who attacks someone goes into New York. The longer you can stay in New York, the more points you can get each turn, but you also can't heal yourself. And when you're in New York, every other player, when they attack, they attack you. So, you know, you got a target on your back. So you're trying to figure out, you know, do I want to stay in here for a long time to score a bunch of points and risk dying? Do I want to, you know, just take a couple rounds and see what happens and that kind of thing. Uh, there's a bunch of different paths to score points. You can get a card that just when you roll these stars, you'll get a pile of points. You can try to get a card that when you roll certain die faces, you automatically win the game. Tons of stuff you can do in this game with just having some dice and a little cardboard standy monster. And I like it quite a bit, but I was kind of bummed that we didn't get to play it that long because I liked this game and then it was over like in two turns. So that's things. But um, So yeah, uh, what do you think about King of New York this time? Yes, that was the fastest I've ever played it. Um, <laughs> and I was like, I really failed in <laughs> everything about this game right now. Some of it is when I play with new people, I like to try different things to show other people how you can play it differently. And so sometimes they get caught up in that. But we just let him run away with like crazy amounts of points. And that's how he lost. But that's why I like this better than King of Tokyo, because it's not just attacking, attacking, but there's also lots of other options for how you can win. And I think this was a great example of that when we played it because we got our butts kicked with stars. Yeah, I, I never play the star game. I like to get cards. I like to get energy. But you also can't let somebody just keep getting all the stars either, which is what we did, which didn't do us any favors. I, I tried to stop it because I had this, the card for a while, but... Like, and I had a card that I couldn't roll stars. I would automatically lose. So <laughs> that's your fault for choosing that stupid card. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. That's you how I like to play knew this it game. when you took it. I do. I did, but it's still fun. I had a good time with it. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, he mentioned it was something that maybe he would play with his kids. And I think that that is very much true that it is a fun game to play with kids as well. And everybody loves rolling dice. And, you know, the strategy changes a little bit different there too. So. Yeah, I think it was successful. It's always like an old scener to come back to that I don't mind playing. Yeah, I like playing it with Brandon because he hates it and does terrible. So that that's fun. I don't know why he hates it. Okay, to be f- he hates every game that he loses at. That's true. And he lost at this one. He loses at this every time. So yeah, it f- feels good. It does. <laughs> All right, so the last game we're going to talk about is a game that we played this week in our, um, our game night with our friend Chris and his wife Amy. And it is called De Volgari Eloquentia. I probably butchered that name. It's Latin. I don't speak Latin. I barely speak English. But that's what the game is called. And effectively what you're doing in this is... I'm going to try to do this. Maybe I'll just let you talk about the theme. Um, <laughs> it's it, it's, a ga- it's a Euro game where you're trying to um, do different things. Get these manuscripts to help unite the language or something of Italy. Yes. Uh, you may you may become a merchant. Uh, you may move from a merchant to a friar, from a friar to a cardinal, and then ultimately to a pope to score a whole bunch of points. Uh, you're trying to move up on some tracks because like any good Euro game, it has tracks. Um, and there's different events that come out every round. 
There's different cubes that you're trying to buy because you need these cubes that are worth a different number of votes, which are going to help you in the Cardinal to Pope game at the end. Um, and it's variable rounds. So in the last five rounds, the Pope is going to die in two of those. There's two two um, little round markers where the Pope, when they get flipped, that signifies the end of the game. So there's five of those, and depending on the order that those come out, the game could be shorter than the full entire length of the game. Uh, there's a whole lot more to it going to these locations, getting money and knowledge, because you have to have certain knowledge to get certain types of manuscripts. Um, but ultimately, it's a Euro game with a whole bunch of points and stuff going on. And it should be no surprise that I love it. It's tan. It looks like illuminated pages from old books, the art. And I, I think it looks amazing. I, no one else thought it looked good, but I, I really like the look of it. And we now own it because Chris gave it to us, so that's cool. So what did you think about this one that I'm not going to say the name of again? Um, the art is straight up ugly. Like, absolutely. It's not ugly. It It is. Um, now, there is, I would say, thematic um, points to be had for the art. I will give you that. Um, but it is not appealing in any way, especially on the cover and stuff. So I guess I can understand why I've never heard of this game before. Like, not at all. Have you heard of this before? Yeah, I oh. I had Chris bring it over before because I wanted to try it, and we just never got to it. I've never seen it. it. Yeah, he brought it over a couple other times, but we just never played it. Okay. I I do not recall this happening, but sure. Um, I So the theme is, yes, that through all of these regions in Italy, you have different people speaking different dialects and things, and the theme behind it is that you're trying to like unify and have one common language. That really plays very little into the actual playing of the game. Yeah, it's theme in, yeah, it's like, it's there, you're collecting manuscripts, but that's where the theme ends. <laughs> yeah, and so I really like this idea that there are so many w- different ways to get points. And I really don't think that there is one correct way because I hate games that are like that. So this game, you've got the choice. Do I stick with Merchant and try and just make money and do things that way to to get these different manuscripts? And I I really think it's a viable option. You just have to let me answer that question. No, you don't do that. I disagree. I think it is a viable option. Especially at round eleven, it's viable. No, if you keep everybody to being just a friar, they're only getting five bucks from you. There are some ways to get massive amounts of money. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. And I wasn't utilizing it because I stayed a merchant for a long time, and I wasn't utilizing it probably the best way that I should have because I didn't really know. What was yes, going on. you did not, and I told you, but you didn't listen. It's fine. Um, so yeah, you could do that. You really have to lean to that. Or you can take the path of the church. You become a friar, you work way up to cardinal, and you potentially could become the pope. I was determined from the beginning that I would be the pope because there can only be one pope. And I'm like, well, yeah, that should be me. Um, which the pope does give you a decent amount of points at the end, but you cannot neglect points in other ways. So there are like... Yeah. <laughs> You definitely got to try to unify the language, which you did not do. <laughs> yeah, so I guess that's where the theme is important, is that you should be getting manuscripts. Katie, who only had three, um, did not win, even as Pope. But I still got to be Pope, so there's that. Um, and and I like, like, there's this kind of varying um, at turn order, based on how much knowledge you have as you're looking for manuscripts. Um, the manuscripts give you points, and you can also do set collection that way. 
you're moving around these different regions in Rome, like you've got these five actions that you can use um, and different places. Sometimes you can use more than one there or it's only one action. Um, money can be at a premium. If you choose the church route, you cannot collect money from the different regions you move through because that's, again, a merchant kind of thing. So you've got to find other ways to do this. You have to purchase cubes. Some of them can be purchased. Some of them are just given, but you have to be in certain places. Certain tracks are only able to move to certain places. So there's a lot of like little moving parts and things. Um, but you really can kind of choose to go your own way. And uh, that's what I really like about this. Like, I, I just think it's interesting. And yeah, there are some fiddly little rules about which tracks go when and whatever. Um, if you have a player aid, that makes it very helpful. And then I feel like you just refer back to that for a while. And then eventually you kind of know it and it becomes more instinctive. Um, I'm really excited to play this game again. I actually really enjoyed it, even though I didn't win, which is a hallmark of a good game because I often like games that I win much more than others. But I don't know, I got to be Pope. So maybe that kind of balances it out. Uh this is, if you like, you know, the heavier style Euros, I don't think it's as heavy as many of the other games we've played, but I find it has a lot of those really interesting checkboxes that we like about games. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And let, let's talk about who did win this game. It was me. I won. Yeah. I just wanted to put that on tape for posterity. I still no, like, am, am totally suspicious of the points. I added my had. points up correctly. I did. I don't cheat at scoring or games. I know. There's just no way that a failed merchant and then someone who didn't become Pope. I didn't fail. I became the camera lingo. I was interim Pope. Thank you very much. I said failed, got 16 failed points merchant. For that bad boy. You abandoned the merchant path late in life to turn to the church. I just I feel did. like it was totally sus. I, I did. I saw everybody else go in the cardinal route and I needed to do it. Uh, it, it just felt right. It felt right. But yeah, this is this is a really good game. It's it's not as nearly as heavy as some other Euros, but it has a lot of rules of, of when you can do things and when things activate and where you have to be for that. So I think that's kind of what makes it heavy. The gameplay is right. pretty easy, but the, the rules overhead is a, a, a little bit a little bit daunting. Right, but I think those restrictions are what make it you know, challenging. And I, I, I often like games that do restrict you heavily because then you have to figure out how do I work around these things and how do I plan ahead for the turns when I can do these other things? What, how am I preparing for them? Yeah, I agree. All right. So those are the games that we played. Let's get moving on. Okay. So we're continuing on in our publisher series, but we've kind of reached the point where we are at publishers that, well, we have a decent amount of their games. We don't quite have enough to have a separate top five list, or if we did have separate top five lists, they would look very, very similar. So to save you from that, we have gone, um, our next couple publishers, we'll take all the games that we have, we own and or have played by those publishers, and we'll rank them from however many we have to number one. We'll try to keep it in a record, like, let's rank top 20 games. If we got there, then... We wouldn't even be having this, but we're looking between six to eight games probably on these next couple publishers. And today we want to talk about a publisher that I think obviously is way up our alley because of the types of games that they publish. And that is Eggerspiel. Eggerspiel for a while um, did not even really publish games here in the States and they were just um, brought over by different companies. So if you notice some of that chill, it's okay. They work together. Um, but now I think they, they themselves 
are doing a lot of the publishing also in the States. But Eggerspiel tends to be heavier Euro-type games, which we love. So we're going to count down our top eight Eggerspiel games. And number seven and eight, admittedly, I have never played. So Jason is going to take over number eight and number seven on our list. All right. So number eight is one that I have played with Joel. I I really thought you played it, but I also played with um, Brandon and Josie. And this game is called, maybe Chris, this game is called Mombasa. This is an Alexander Fister game about, it's like colonialism, but none of that really comes through on the board. It's basically putting these houses in these different locations on the board to do kind of like an area control thing and get bonuses on the board. And it's a worker placement game where you're going to these different locations to get different cards that you can play. I haven't played it for a really long time, so probably not the greatest description, but it's a, a medium heavy Euro, one of Andrew, Alexander Fisher's classics. Uh, we used to own it, but yeah, I don't know. It's not one of his favorite, my not one of my favorite games from him, so it's gone. But number eight, Mombasa. Yeah, you when you point blah blah blah. When you were playing this, I was playing like the longest game of Concordia in the world or something uh, else. Yeah, that's right. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. We also don't own this game because it does tend to be like of really questionable content as far as theme goes. And I think there is another game actually on this list that is basically the same, only better. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, and the next game that Katie hasn't played, and I've only played it once, and that was with Brandon, and this, and which it needs to be played higher than two for sure. And this game is called Yido, and this is effectively um, an Asian themed version of Lords of Waterdeep. So it, it kind of functions the same way. It's a worker placement game where you're going to go to these different locations to get to do these certain actions. But the interesting thing about this one is before you do all that, there's an auction phase where you're trying to bid for these um, different rooms of your player board that are going to let you activate different things. You're going to try to hire different people like samurai and geishas to come work in those buildings because you're going to need certain buildings and people and to be in certain locations to fulfill these objectives that you have. So like, you know, I need to have a geisha. I need to have this room. I need to be in the red region of the board. If I can do all that, I can turn over, turn in this card to score a pile of points, and that's kind of the crux of the game. You need stuff and need to be in certain locations. But another interesting thing about this is there's this, um, I don't remember what he's called, but this little pawn that will move around to the different locations. And if you're in that location, he kind of arrests you, which makes you pay like a penalty. You either you, you don't get to do the action when he moves into that space, and you have to give up something, which is pretty nasty. So it's a, a more involved Lords of Waterdeep with uh, an Asian theme, which we enjoy, and... I like it, and I'd like to play it at more than two to see how that auction really plays out. So number seven, Yido. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to play any Asian theme games, but this is one that you never suggest. Yeah, I just never bring it out. And I think, I don't know, there's just other worker placement games I'd rather play, I guess. But now thinking about this one, this is really good. So (laughs) I don't know. That's how this always happens. You're like, oh, yeah, we do have the game. Oh, you never played it? Oh, it's really good. I wonder why. Yeah, I don't know. And we don't have the the new shiny one. We have the old and busted one. No surprise. I but. feel like that could go without saying. <laughs> of course, we have the old one. Um, our number six, I almost wish Jason would also talk about this because while I have played it, I certainly don't understand it. And that game is having a nail. Now, thematically, I know it's about like 
monks and you are, you know, by your monastery and you're going to make ale. Um, and, you know, you're also, you know, make sure the brewmeister is happy. You're gathering things to make your beer. Um, it's just this lovely, like, pastoral monastery kind of idea. In practice, this game is so effing hard that I do not understand it. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is brutally hard for sure. Like, um, so you have your own personal board that has what looks like fields and like these little hexagons. And so, are, are they hexagons? Yeah, they're, okay. yeah, they're hexes. I was just making sure. Like, I was counting the sides. Like, am I saying this right? Some of the hexes are light green. Some of them are dark green. Uh, you're moving around the central board in like a Takedo kind of fashion. You can always go forward, never backward. Um, you can go as far forward as you want. But then again, you're missing out on some things to collect these tiles that then go these hexes that then go on your board. And depending if you put them on the light side or dark side depends on the benefit you reap from them. Um, sometimes you're you're wanting to put them around. Um, these different like monastery area, like monk areas to activate those monk powers, or you're putting them in these other areas so that you actually produce the resources. Somehow one of those ways lets you move up on these tracks around your board, but you only, you can't score unless you get so far on one of the tracks. Yeah. Your brewmeister has to at least make it to a certain threshold before you can even score any points anywhere. Right. So I have no idea it, yeah. how to move your brewmeister either, even though I know I've played this game, I think twice. Yeah, you you move your brewmeister by moving on other tracks or taking like monk actions, I believe. I haven't played it for a long time, but it's hard to move your brewmeister, which <laughs> therein lies the challenge of the game. So it's hard to get like any points. Like it is brutal, like to get any points, period. Like the scoring track only goes up to like 20 anyway. So you know that's not a good sign for points right out the gate, <laughs> right? Um, I-, I love like the art style of this, like especially the box art is really appealing to me. It has this kind of stained glass mosaic look to it. You know, again, the monks with the beer and you know collecting the barley and hops, like it just seems lovely. And then you like open the game, and you're like, and you start to play, it, you're like, this is freaking torture. Um, but it's in some ways, I'm like so compelled to keep playing it. And I, every time I talk about it, I'm like, you need to play this again because I can't stand having a game have mastery over me and i need to figure this game out because i i've heard from so many people say oh this game's so good this game's so good it is so good if you have certain leanings towards masochism i think because it just is very (laughs) difficult but i i do kind of want to figure it out so um that's why it's kind of low on the list because it is so difficult. We really haven't played it that much, um, but it still is a quality game. So our number six is Heaven and Nail. Yeah, I like this game. I think I, I think I've played it more than you have, and I'm still like it's still hard to explain how to move the brewmeister. It's possible to end this game with negative or no points at all. <laughs> like it's yeah, it's, <laughs> right. It, it's a it's a beast of a game. All right, so the next one, number five. This is the Alexander Fister game that Katie was mentioning earlier that. Kind of does similar things to Mombasa, but we like better, and it has a more welcoming theme. And this one's called Blackout Hong Kong. Asian theme, of course, so we like it better. Um, so this is a game where the power has gone out in Hong Kong, and what you're trying to do is you are trying to send out rescue crews, doctors, engineers to help out the people 
in these regions, secure the regions, make sure everybody's safe, give them food, electricity, all that kind of thing. But the way you're doing that is through play, um, interesting card play. It functions similarly to Mombasa, where you're going to be playing three cards down or a number of cards down into these open slots. And you're going to be able to use, you know, maybe three or four different cards. When you're going to, the card you flip up is the action you can take. They're going to have different colors that represent cubes and all that kind of thing. And they're going to have different abilities. Some of them, they're going to let you do certain types of actions. And then when you run out of cards, you're able to pick up all the cards from one of the columns. So you're kind of thinking, you know, which column do I play this card in? Because I'm going to get to pick all these up later. And I want to have access to these cards. Uh, you're trying to get certain colored cards in certain patterns because they're going to be some in-game goals. Uh, you're trying to secure these lo- these different territories on the board with your cubes to score a bunch of points, collect resources, batteries to turn those in to score these objectives. Uh, a lot of Euro convolution, kind of. That's what Fister kind of does, but I enjoy it, and it's uh, a deep game, and I like it. And you like it, apparently, because it was basically our list was exactly the same. Except for Mombasa and Yido, because you hadn't played those. So uh, I think we both like this one. So number five, Blackout Hong Kong. Yeah, well, I mean, again, if you look at it, this is like the second to last of my rankings because I hadn't played Yido and Mombasa and Heaven and Yale is super hard. Um, part of that is because I haven't played Blackout Hong Kong that much, maybe once or twice. But I really like how you have these different characters that do different things and you have to be able to get them out of like the infirmary in order to use them. Like, I think there's some really, really cool mechanisms at play here. I don't love like placing stuff on the board and it's not really area control, but in some ways it kind of is. I don't love that, but the other parts of the game, like how you get resources and stuff, how you use your characters, I think is really cool. And I'd like to play this game, you know, more because I think it's interesting. The other problem is, yes, um, it's black (laughs) pretty much. It's very, it's very black exclusively yeah. and that does make it hard to see sometimes and you're not as drawn into either the box art or the board but um really cool mechanics in this one so yeah of course i think it's good there was a new edition where they lightened up the black some but that's not the one we have of course not well i i didn't know yeah well but i mean it's not like we're gonna get the new one Oh, that's true. Yeah, this one it this one's fine. It's just the new one makes it easier to see some of the spaces and that kind of thing. <laughs> um, our number four, <clears throat> with how much we play it, you'd think it would be our number one. Um, and it is a great game, but since we like you know crunchy euros, it's it's at number four. And that game is Camel Up. Now, our version of Camel Up actually uh, was brought to the states via Z Man, if I'm correct. Yep, that's correct. But it still is an Eggert Spiel game. If you have been completely absent of board gaming and our podcast, uh, Camel Up is a camel racing game. You have a, a, a color die that matches the color of these camels. I think there are six. Five. Dang it, five. That was my first thought, but I said six. Five camels. They go inside this pyramid. You shake it. You can shake it up, move the camels around in this race. You are betting on who's going to win a leg of the race. You're betting on who's going to win or lose um, the entire race. You can't. There's expansions that allow you to take pictures and add extra dice and, and lengthen the board and do all kinds of things. Um, it's just good, clean, random fun. Everyone we've ever played this game with freaking loves it. It is... Definitely something that you let non-gamers play. I mean, we tend to play the certain type of person. 
And we have played with people whose idea of the height of gaming is like Yahtzee. Um, and they loved this game. Like to the extent that we found it, you and the Riveted helped us find um, a copy for them so they could play together as a family because they so enjoyed it. And to me, that's a hallmark of a good game that it is the game itself as an equalizer amongst experience, um, you know, intelligence, class, creed, etc. And you leave having good time with the game and the people around you. And Camel Up definitely does that. Um, stacking wooden camels. I don't know. It's just, it's just so fun. And so, uh, number four is Camel Up. Yeah. If, if this was a list based on how many times we've played it and how much fun we have, this would be number one, hands down. Sure. Camel Up is amazing. Um, I don't think I've ever played it with anybody that doesn't like this game. And if they do, they, we're not friends anymore. Yeah. They need to check themselves out because this is a great game. Uh, so number three, is not the same kind of game at all. This is one of the, the beefy Euros, and this is called Alma Mater. Um, to be fair, we've only played this game correctly maybe one and a half times out of like the four or five times that we've played it because I read the rules wrong because I'm dumb. Um, but what you're doing in this game is you are basically like the headmaster at a university. I believe that's the theme. And you are trying to recruit students to come to your school, trying to get different professors to come teach at your school. And the way that you're doing all that is through some worker placement. You have some workers, you're going to put them down in the space and get to do certain actions. Um, you're also trying to, the, the main crux of the game is you have to pay for all this stuff with different types of books. Everybody has their own color of book that is their resource. And there's also, depending on the number of players, maybe a, generic one and you have to go to this like knowledge bank and buy people's books from them so you can spend those books to recruit teachers to come work at your school because they score points so it's a there's a lot going on it's it's a really good game i'd like to play it again with the correct rules and maybe you know get a few more gameplays with the correct rules under the belt but even playing it wrong and then playing it right just a couple times still a great game so number three Alma mater. Even those plays where you played it wrong, I still kind of liked it. And then once they finally played it right, I'm like, okay, yeah, this game is really great. So it I, was less punishing when you play it correctly. Yes. <laughs> I also love that it has really these little tactile colored books that it could be cubes, which I'm sure Jason would love, but I love that they're actual books. Um, and I think there's a lot of really cool, interesting mechanisms. I would like to play this more now that we play it correctly um, to just even get a better handle for it because I, I just really think it's it's a super fun game. Um, our number two is another Crunchy Euro. It's one that really burned my brain for a long time for some reason. And with the last couple of plays, I'm like, okay, Katie, you're just making it overcomplicated. But that game is Rococo. This game is so good. Um, there was recently a new edition for it that was so pretty um so i wanted it so badly but in true fashion we do not own it we own the old and busted version but the game is so good so in rococo you are a tailor and there's sort of a deck building kind of mechanism happening where you have a hand of cards that you can't choose from well you guess you can you have a hand of cards that you choose from. Um, I think you choose three each turn. Yes, three. Yep. To play. And these are either like apprentices or journeymen or actual like master tailors that are able to make 
to do different kinds of actions on the board. And you're choosing the ones um, that can help you accomplish what you need to do that round. Now, once you've used it, it's kind of exhausted until you find a way to get it back into your hand after you've played through the rest, which there are ways around that, which is very interesting. Um, But you are getting cloth and thread and lace to um, fulfill these patterns of different dresses once or coats. Once you make them, you decide, are you going to sell them for the money? Because money is at a premium for sure in this game. Or are you going to display them in the palace? Um, and there's an area control kind of bit um, where you place them. Certain dresses and coats that are made by like a master craftsman can only go on certain areas. Um, there are decorations and fireworks and things that you can buy, like multiply your points. There's just so many different ways to score points in this game. And you are just trying to make the most of each of your turns, um, to get as much of it as you can. Like it is, I think the theme is super fun. We are, one of our grail bits is to get, the jewel box isn't right expansion jewelry box yeah the jewelry box expansion for this game which is like outrageous and almost impossible to get for the old version um but it it's just it's challenging and thinky but the theme is whimsical enough like it's accessible i really like it so our number two is rococo yeah this is a a pretty good, a pretty good game. I, I don't think it's as heavy as some of the other ones. It feels heavier than it is, just because the it has different ways that you're doing some of the things. But it's still, it's not light by any stretch of the imagination. But it's a really good game. I like it. Um, so my number one, or not my number one, our number one. Yeah, watch it. Combined is uh, Katie's favorite game of all time. Yes. Spoiler: If you haven't listened to for that, two yet, years running under wreck. Yeah, for two years, and that game is called Coimbra. Which is actually the prequel to Alma Mater in like theme only, I guess. But who cares? Um, this is a game. It's a dice placement game where you're using these dice to, in a couple of different ways, you're using the dice as like an auction mechanism to recruit these different character cards to come into your tableau. And you're using the dice color. So the pips are for the the hiring of people, and the color is going to allow you to move up on some tracks in a different phase of the game. And you're trying to juggle the people with the tracks to score the most points. Um, you're trying. You, there's a couple different currencies. There's military, gold, and you're also moving around on the main board to try to get these different locations, which are going to give you some kind of like special bonus. So it's a dice placement drafting game with where you, every dice is going to fire off like four or five different things. Uh, it's really good. It has really nice art. It's nice. This is one of the first Euro games that I think we played that actually had non-tan colors. It's actually like, you know, bright colors, bright dice, and that was a nice change of pace. But Coimbra is amazing. If you haven't played it, I would say give it a shot if you like Euro games and dice drafting and placement and all that stuff. So our number one, Coimbra. Absolutely. Um, it's my number one game. It's been every one game of all time for multiple years now. I, I there's just so many ways to play this to come at it. Um, there's tracks and cards and dice and um, getting all those things working together like a well-oiled machine. Like oh, when they sing and you're like firing them off with the card and the dice color and then the tracks and multiple other tracks and the board and that is sexy to me. And this game is just does it so so well. Um, yeah, it deserves to be number one. I think. So what about you? Do you agree? Is Coimbra that good? 
I mean, of course it is, but I'll fight you about it if you want. Um, tell us, tell us, I'm sure I know there are plenty of Eggers Spiel games that we have not played as there are two on this list that I haven't. Should I play them? Well, before you go any further, I just bought an Eggers Spiel game today. Really? Change Horses. Honorable mention. Okay. <laughs> of course, another horse racing, another racing game. Uh, we haven't played it yet, so... More to come on that. Yeah, I was just being dumb. But it is another Eggerspiel game that... You yeah. were? <laughs> Shut up and move on. <laughs> I was moving on, but you can't seem to let stuff go. <laughs> so tell us about your favorite Eggerspiel games. Do you agree with our list? Um, do you have other ones? Should we move Camel up to number one? Uh, tell us on our Facebook page, hashtag The Riveted, um, our Twitter, our Instagram comments on youtube in our discord chat we love to hear from you guys um really it's it's one of our our favorite things is talking about games that's why we do this podcast um so feel free to weigh in some of you have been sending me like little bits of news and stuff i love it awesome please keep it up um if you have ideas for podcasts if you um Several of you have said, oh, yeah, I think you guys would like this game. And I'm like, you guys are totally right. I'm going to try it out. I love it. Um, that That's that's one of my favorite parts. Um, and the fact that you willingly suffer through our podcast every week. That's <laughs> another um, just credit to, to you guys. The Riveted is definitely the best. Yeah, it's it's by far the best group with a hashtag in it that I've ever seen in my life. Oh, my gosh. By far. And then, like, this podcast would be, like, a great podcast, but since I have Jason saddled to me, it's pretty okay. Pretty okay. What can I say? That's what I do. I bring quality down to just mediocre. That's what I do. Well, thank you for listening to another mediocre episode of The Board Game Mechanics. I've been Katie. Uh, And I'm Jason. Keep gaming, everybody. Keep gaming and be mediocre. No, we don't want our listeners to be mediocre. It's bad enough we are. (laughs) 